0: Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, it's on page 948 of the Bible underneath your seats. Uh, if you forgot your Bible, don't have one, please do use that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, friends, we would love for you to take that Bible and make it yours. Uh, you wouldn't be stealing it, you would be receiving it as a gift. Uh, we would love for you to, to have, a, have a Bible. My friends this morning this is the 6th of 10 sermons in a in a very periodic topical series actually on the disciplines of a godly church. Uh, typically here at RGC, we just go straight through books of the Bible, and that's what we'll resume doing next week as we begin the book of Romans together. Uh, so before we begin this morning, uh, let me just encourage you with a couple things here at the kind of the outset uh, of this new series on Romans. First of all, this week or in, in a coming week, consider reading the book of Romans in one sitting. Did you hear the collective gasp? The gulf that went through the room. Now, now, I'm serious. You'd be amazed at how reading through a New Testament letter in one sitting will help you to, to see the contours of the book, to trace out the internal themes and connections that you might not uh, see in, in reading more bite-sized chunks. I, I know it sounds intimidating, but if you're an average speed reader, you can actually get through the book of Romans in one hour or just over an hour. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, if you can't do it, no sweat. We're not going to revoke your church membership next week when you come back. Uh, but please, Please don't let that stop you, uh, even if you can't go in one sitting from beginning to read that book in preparation uh, to receive God's Word as it's preached. Uh, Second, we've added a few resources on Romans to our online bookstore, so if you go to rgcaz.org slash bookstore, rgcaz.org slash bookstore, you will see a ton of wonderful Christian resources that we recommend, including a handful on Romans. They are there for your learning, for your edification, and uh, I hope you'll take advantage of them. Friends, this entire series uh, that we've been working our way through slowly, this Disciplines of a Godly Church series, it seeks to reveal from the Scripture how we in the local church should be actively engaged in in the corporate activities to which God has called us. Uh, So many of these things that we've looked at together over the last year and a half are really just the ordinary means of grace that God has given to grow His people. So far, we've seen from the New Testament, a church seeking to grow in godliness gathers together faithfully on the Lord's Day. It listens to God's Word as it's preached when they gather, as well as cultivating patterns of corporate prayer and, and joyful singing. Last week, we saw that both the gathered and the scattered church ought to be about the good work of discipling together. We help one another follow Jesus by teaching and modeling God's Word. You know, all of this assumes a massively important truth. And so I just want to say that assumption out loud this morning. It assumes that a a church's corporate life matters. According to Ephesians 3.10, the way a church lives together showcases to the angelic and demonic realms what Paul calls the manifold wisdom of God's saving plan. The church is like a show window, a a display case of God's glory in Christ. What a privilege we have. We may not look like much, but according to the scripture, something of cosmic significance is going on here. We understand the Christian life to have a, a church shape to it, right? There simply is no biblical Christianity that's isolated and individualistic. We are to live out the Christian life in committed love with a people the local church. Last week, we, we zoomed the lens of Christian love in quite a bit, didn't we, uh, to look at the priority of, of teaching and modeling toward Christ's likeness, discipling. And this week, we're zooming back out to get a wide-angle shot. It's not so much portrait mode, right, as it is a, a panorama uh, of what it looks like to humbly love others. This morning, we looked together at the discipline of serving. Well, what does it mean to serve as a Christian? And whom are we serving? Well, the answer is a tad more tricky than you might think because there are actually four different words in the original Greek New Testament translated serve in our English translations. Two of them, two of these words reflect uh, the Old Testament's priestly service in the temple. They're liturgical words focused on the, the worship or service of God. The other two words translated serve reflect the humble and loyal labor of a slave or bond servant with his or her master there in the context of the, of the ancient world. And those words are, are both used in relation to Christians lovingly serving the Lord Jesus, our master, and, and, and a Christian's humble servant-like love of other believers. Now Clearly, these last two words are related, right? Because how do we serve our Lord and Master? Well, one of the key ways we do it is by giving our lives to actively serve one another. Romans 12, 9 and following gives us a great example of this. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter 12, let's read verse, verses 9 and following. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Friends, friends, Paul clearly expects believers in the church of Rome to be busy, actively serving their Lord and Master who redeemed them. But surrounding that command is a bunch of other commands that mostly focus on the active work of, of, of serving for the good of others. Did you notice that? Loving one another, outdoing one another, and showing honor, praying for each other, contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality, empathizing with one another's joys and sorrows, striving for harmony, not being a respecter of persons. These are the ways that we serve the Lord. We evidence our service toward our master by our humble, love-filled service of others. And that really does reflect the main idea of the sermon this morning that I think gets at the gist of the way the New Testament presents our service. Here's the main idea. The primary way you're called to serve the Lord Jesus is to serve others in love. The primary way you're called to serve the Lord Jesus is to serve others in love. There are so many ways that we can do this as believers, including both in and outside the church in evangelism. Uh, the, ser- the sermon this morning is going to focus more on the internal serving, than, more than the external serving, but nonetheless... We are called to serve the Lord Jesus by giving ourselves for the good of others. So, so the question we want to answer this morning is how can we, how can we, the saints of Redeeming Grace Church grow in energetically and sincerely serving one another as we serve Christ together? I realize, friends, I'm, I'm speaking to a congregation that reflects a wide spectrum when it comes to actively serving. Uh, some of you this morning just ooze this servant's heart. Praise God. And I I, am so thankful for you're serving in just an unbelievable amount of ways. Others of you are perhaps new Christians or you're relatively new to our church, and so you're kind of still finding your footing as as you walk this road in the Christian life. And I'm aware that there may be some who, if you're honest, you're kind of marked by an inactivity or a lethargy and more of a consumer's mindset instead of a servant's mindset. And friends, I pray that No matter where you are on that spectrum, God's word would do its work in you this morning. Encouraging, strengthening you, rebuking you, spurring you on to love and good deeds. Well, let me suggest three ways that all of us can grow in serving Christ and his people. Okay, three ways. Here's the three points of the sermon outlined this morning. Number one, know your role. Number two, steward your gift. Steward your gifts. Number three, follow your king. Know your role, steward your gifts, follow your king. Beloved, I pray that the Lord would use his word this morning to energize us all for our king's service, even as he laid down his life and served us. Number one, know your role. Friends, I'm convinced that one reason many Christians misunderstand their role within the body and, and therefore are inactive in serving others is because their concept of the local church isn't biblical. I think many Christians, whether they're conscious of it or not, they kind of view the local church as sort of a, a Christian small business, right? The, the pastor is the CEO of the company. Uh, and then the people who attend church are, are the customers. And, and so it's 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 the church's job to offer an ample menu of programs and activities and events for the customers who attend to enjoy and to benefit from. Does that sound familiar in kind of the evangelical landscape a little bit? So in this way of thinking, those who serve in the church, well, they're they're kind of like the employees uh, of the business, except for the fact that they're vastly underpaid, right? Um, their job as the employee's servants is to keep the programs humming with with peak efficiency and ensure that everything is well organized, to make sure that the CEO, or I'm sorry, that the pastor is pleased and that the cu- the customers are happy. Now, of course, friends, we're glad when things run well around here. Many of our ministries and services, they require good administration. We want people to feel loved and welcomed and encouraged as we try to represent Jesus with excellence. We want, we want the coffee to be hot, right? Uh, we, we want the signs to be clear. We want the smiles to be warm and so on. However, when we think of the local church fundamentally in terms of a Christian Christian small business with the pastor as CEO and the churchgoers as consumers, we run the risk of two massive mistakes in terms of serving the body. First, we'll think about service in terms of a boss-employee relationship. We'll wait. We'll sit back and wait for the pastor or, or, in a more healthy model, the elders and deacons to assign us a task we'll conceive of serving strictly in terms of something that we're tasked with from above. Second, uh, what what often accompanies that type of church as business mindset is, is often a thirst for a position or a title, right? Just like you would aspire to a promotion in your real job, what you really want is not to serve others, but to be recognized by the leadership of the church as worthy of carrying some official responsibility. But beloved, we must remember what the local church is according to the scripture. Back in the very first sermon in this series, Gather Together, we looked at the various images or or metaphors that the New Testament uses to portray the the local church. And do you know what? Shockingly, none of them pictured the church as a company. That is shocking, I know. And said, how does the Bible picture the local church as an embassy of the kingdom of heaven? as a holy temple in which God's presence dwells, as the body of Christ, as the family of God. You know what's interesting about those images for the local church? Two of them, the embassy and the temple, highlight our vertical relationship with our God. We, together, represent King Jesus, the embassy of his heavenly kingdom on earth. Matthew 16 and 18, Ephesians 2 other passages, we together are being built as the temple in which the spirit of the living God dwells. Ephesians 2, 1 Timothy 3. It's a vertical representation. It's a vertical relationship. The other two images are primarily horizontal. In the church, we work for each other's mutual good, just like the members or parts of a person's body works for the good of his or her body. Each member is just vitally connected, just like your arm or your leg is to your body. Vitally connected, vitally important. Likewise, we relate to one another in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love and we care for one another in the family of faith. Again, horizontal. Now, just think for a moment. I know this is a little bit of a different approach to serving, but just think for a moment how these New Testament images for the local church obliterate the church as business model when it comes to serving. Let's just take one of those relational horizontal images first. Paul in both Ephesians 2.19 and 1 Timothy 3.15 calls the church the household of God. He means to conjure up in our minds the close relationships and mutual responsibilities of a family. Beloved, our, our Sunday gatherings are not the meetings as uh, uh, not a meeting of colleagues it, it is not a company serving its patrons it is a weekly family reunion where brothers and sisters in Christ rescued by grace gather to build one build each other up in love and just think of your own biological family for a moment sisters do you have to be assigned a task around the house to do it Of course not. You understand that that the house needs to be cleaned, like constantly. Unfortunately, I'm sorry about that. Brothers and sisters, but often our sisters bear the weight of that in the house. Laundry needs to be folded, meals need to be cooked, all the rest. Brothers, it's the same for you. Do you need a title to wash the dishes? Right? Caesar Othone, lead house dishwasher. Right? Jonathan Ma director of family activities. No, of course not. It is baked into your role in the family. You have already been given all the title you need. Dad, dad, mom, daughter, son, brother, sister. Hopefully you serve your family in dozens of ways each week simply because you love them, you're committed to them, you're deeply invested in their flourishing. If you're a parent, hopefully no one has to task you to spend time with your kids. If you're a spouse, I trust no one has to give you a checklist of the required ways to show love to your husband or wife. If you're single, well, I I pray that you make an effort to stay in touch with your parents and your siblings simply because you love them. In countless ways, we instinctively and intuitively serve our biological family. Friends, the same dynamic should be active within the family of God. Do not sit back and wait for instructions. Simply look around and develop relationships with your brothers and sisters, and I guarantee you the opportunities and needs will rise to the surface. This view of the church... Also means that serving the church doesn't stop when we scatter. Your faith family doesn't stop being your faith family Monday to Saturday. Do we have definite serving opportunities here on Sunday before, during, after the service? Oh, do we ever. Right? There are needs and opportunities surrounding our facilities and our guests and our music and our audiovisual and our security and our hospitality and our counting of the offering, and who can forget the nursery right, and kids' ministry. These designated serving teams, typically typically overseen by our, our deacons or who are kind of our, our lead servants, they're all part of our service to Christ and each other. So right now. Uh, Some 81 of our 123 members serve formally in some way on the Lord's Day. That's approximately two-thirds of the church. Praise God. But I think it also indicates the opportunity for the other third to contribute. So I hope you will consider ways that you might serve the Lord Jesus on one of our ministry teams on the Lord's Day when we gather. That being said... Our understanding of the church means that serving is not confined only to formal ways. In fact, I'd say that the vast majority of serving happens in the non-formal ways. It happens when a younger member gives an older member a ride to the doctor. When a busy stay-at-home mom offers, despite her busy schedule, offers to watch another member's kids for a day when they're going through some particular type of suffering. When our church family provides meals to the grieving and to the recovering. When we show up to help each other move. When when a brother lends out his truck so another brother or sister can transport a large item. Uh, Just the other day I was sitting in my office. I was working on something. I think I was studying. And lo and behold, in walks a brother uh, from our church ready to fix a door that he had noticed was broken the, the previous Sunday. Like, nobody had asked him to come fix that door. Uh, The only problem was he had forgot the tools that he needed, so he had to go back home, and then he, he came back the next day. But you know what? I was so encouraged by that. Like, he didn't need a title. He didn't need to be asked. He simply noticed a need, and he wanted to meet it. One of the prime opportunities we have to serve one another as family friends is through hospitality. And I don't mean just here at the church. I mean in our own homes. You saw it clearly when we read from Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. First Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, clearly, Peter anticipated the struggle of home group leaders, right? After a busy day at work. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I just want to put my feet up and watch the game. Oh no, how's the is tonight? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Grumbling. Have you ever considered, friends, how many of the one another's of the New Testament can be accomplished in your living room or around the dinner table? Honestly, I I feel like hospitality is like the secret sauce of a healthy church. It's not noticeable, it's not making the headlines, but man, does it make things taste good? That type of love produces amazing things in the life of a body it's a primary way we love and serve each other as believers it's a key way that those who are are new with us can feel welcomed and connected it is fundamental to christian love and service beloved i know this type of non-task non-titled serving happens all the time here at rgc and i praise god for it may it only increase it reflects the bond of love that we share in christ jesus Now think for a moment about how the images for the local church that are vertical shape our understanding of serving. Just for a moment, okay? Church membership, rightly understood, carries with it an incredibly high office, an enormously important job. We, together, represent the king's rule. We proclaim his message as his ambassadors. So that honor, friends, of representing King Jesus as the embassy of the king, it infuses even the most menial tasks with massive meaning and purpose, Jesus said that even a a cup of cold water given in his name won't go unnoticed or unrewarded. Even those who labor in total obscurity, if they've done it for Christ's sake, will receive the commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. How about the image of the temple? Well, as priests together in the temple that God is building, our ministry of serving, it helps to guard the gospel and the purity of the local church, just as the priests did in the Old Testament with the temple. And since the Spirit of God dwells in and among us, that means that all of our serving, whether public or private, whether large or small, it's spiritual. Because the Spirit of God dwells in and among us. It's worship. It's not a box to be checked. It's a priestly offering to be made in praise to our God. Friends, to summarize all of this point, who needs an official title when each Christian in the church has been given such distinction? Ambassador, citizen, priest... Please, please, please do not wait around on me or the elders to solicit you or recruit you for some sort of position. When God saved you from your sin, he made you part of his people and he gave you an office and a job in the local church far more significant than anything that we could ever give you. And that profound identity should shape the way that you think about serving. You serve at God's pleasure and for his glory. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that how you think about the church will determine how you think about serving, both when the church gathers and when it scatters. And I can almost guarantee you that if you view the church as kind of a Christian business with a consumer's mindset, you will not be looking for ways to serve your brothers and sisters when the church scatters. Even, you know, any more than you look to serve, uh, for instance, your fellow patrons at a restaurant after you leave it, right? Or fellow attendees at a concert after it ends. You have no relationship with those folks, right? You're not serving them in any way after you scatter from the restaurant or the concert. You go to those contexts to be. served. There's no enduring identity of relationship to tell you otherwise. Our friends, church membership helps us so much in this good work. It is entirely different because there is an enduring relationship and a promise of love and commitment. God has not called us to be Christian consumers or customers, but active participants, active servants of Christ Jesus and his people. Know your role. Number two, Number two, steward your gift. Steward your gift. Now, perhaps you've been sitting here listening to the sermon thinking, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but I just don't have that much to bring to the table. I I, I want to say that, you know, to you up front, Pastor John, like I just don't have that much to offer. I'm not sure where my place is in the body. Well, friends, the Bible speaks to this line of thinking. It is full of encouragement for you this morning. The fact of the matter is, every single believer has been gifted by the Spirit of God for service in the church. There simply is no ungifted believer. That's a non-thing. Just as surely as the Spirit of God gave you the gifts of repentance and faith in Jesus when he granted you spiritual life, in his great wisdom and love, he has given you spiritual gifts to steward for the good of others and for the glory of God. Let's look at a few of these passages that highlight this truth. Okay, we're just going to read them rapid fire one after the other just kind of let the the word of God wash over us and get the gist of the New Testament's teaching on this topic okay so here are the three passages if you want to begin turning there first uh, Peter 4 Peter 4 Romans 12 and first Corinthians 12 first Peter 4 Romans 12 first Corinthians 12. first up is first Peter 4 it's on page 1016 1016. Peter writes, above all, keep loving one another. This is verse 7, excuse me. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Not, Not if each has received a gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as done who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now back to Romans 12. Romans 12, it's on page 948 actually it comes just before the passage we read at the outset of the sermon. Romans chapter 12. We'll begin reading in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, this is Apostle Paul speaking, for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and in and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Finally, turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. That's on page 959. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's read together starting in verse 4. Now there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's not surprising, is it, that if you were to keep reading 1 Corinthians 12, you've co- you'd come again to Paul's metaphor of the body and its diverse members working for each other's good and serving with their diverse gifts. Beloved, this is not a gray area, okay? This is, this is black and white as it can be. If you're a Christian, you've graciously been given a spiritual gift, which is the evidence of the Spirit of God's presence in your life. It's packaged with your salvation. Right? At least one gift, often multiple gifts, to be utilized for the spiritual good of others. So what is a spiritual gift? Well, I think what Peter and Paul are getting at and what they have in mind is any talent or ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. Any talent or ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church you know, certainly some gifts are, are very much more apparently spiritual than others. They have a certain priority in ministry. Uh, you might think about the gift of evangelism or the gift of teaching in that way. But friends, let's remember that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who is active in the new creation <laughs> in saving us and gifting us for ministry, well, that, that spirit was active in the original creation as well. Surely, every natural gift and ability we have simply by being a human, being made in the image of God with our distinct abilities, is touched by the Spirit of God for spiritual use in the life of the new creation in the church. This is what Peter was getting at in First Peter 4.10 when he wrote that believers are stewards of God's varied grace. Paul wrote about the varieties of service and activities and the many differing gifts of the Spirit. Friends, God's grace manifests itself in a variety of ways. It is varied grace. It's not cookie-cutter grace that, that works the same way in each believer. It's kaleidoscope grace. It is beautifully diverse. If you were to survey all the lists of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, you know what you'd find? Every list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament is different. No one gift, friends, is on every list. And no list includes all the gifts. You know what that implies? Even though the gift lists, they help us to understand what some of the gifts are, they're not meant to be exhaustive. Like these, these these ones that the apostles list, these are the spiritual gifts alone, and that's it. No, no, friends, there are there's virtually a limitless variety of different spiritual gifts, all manifestations of the abundant and beautiful grace of God in the Spirit. It seems like daily here in Arizona, we have a living color example of this concept of diversely beautiful grace, and that happens with every sunrise for every sunset. What an unexpected, for me, blessing of living here. When the sun rises or sets here, which for us is, uh, uh, you know, uh, we kind of see the mountains in our, in our landscape from our house, the Lord paints the sky with a variety of hues. In fact, when my little guy and I are driving at sunset, he will point out the different colors that he's seeing in the sky. Orange! Pink! Red! Purple! I love doing that with him. And surely the the rich colors that we see in God's creation uh, merely hints at the rich colors of his grace displayed in the gifts that he gives to his people. And we ought to stand back and praise God for this. Friends, perhaps next Sunday when we gather, just stand back for a moment and take in the manifold display of God's varied grace at work. Look there, hospitality. Oh, oh, and there, administration. Oh, praise God, there's the gift of generosity. I I see it. Oh my goodness, what a remarkable gift with children this person has. Oh, and there, the gift of music making. How beautiful is that? Check it out. The brother's teaching of the word is clear and helpful. Praise God. Wow, look at how that sister serves so energetically. Look how she heads off potential problems at the past. Well, praise God for how he's gifted him or her. So often we think of the of manifestations of the, of the Holy Spirit as some kind of extraordinary work, large-scale revival, earth-shattering miracles, and so on. Or according to the scripture, every time believers serve one another in love, no matter if it's public or private, no matter, matter if it's speaking God's word or serving practically, we're putting on display the work of the spirit and the grace of our God. But God's word is clear, isn't it? These gifts aren't given to us to hoard, or to be utilized for self-congratulation or self-promotion. No, God has gifted us to serve others for the common good of the church. Spiritual gifts are not ultimately ours. Otherwise, Peter would have called us to own our gifts well, not steward our gifts faithfully. No, clearly God owns them. We're just managing what he has entrusted to us. Brothers and sisters, whatever gift or pattern of gifts the Lord has given you, will likely determine ways that you can effectively serve Jesus. Whatever gift or pattern of gifts the Lord has given you will likely determine ways that you can effectively serve Jesus. Uh, just the sake of embarrassing him, at risk of embarrassing him, think of our brother Steve DeBoer. I'm gonna pick on Steve because he's an elder. I can do that. Uh, Steve was a, a CPA for uh, most of his career in the corporate world. And so one of the ways that he has served our church for years and effectively is in our church's bookkeeping. Like, like he's really good at it. Is it a spiritual gift? Is that a spiritual gift? Steve's gift with finances and accounting? Well, here I'm going to go with yes, absolutely. Because it's an ability that the spirit of God is using for the good of the church and the glory of God. But friends, just as soon as I can say that the way or the ways the Spirit has gifted us helps determine ways that we will be effective in serving others, I need to quickly give a word of warning here. Because some of you might hear me say that and think, okay, well, yeah, I've got to be gifted in kind of XYZ area before I can commit to serving. If I'm not, I'm not going to serve there. Toddlers scare me. I'm, I'm just not gifted with children. I can't work in the nursery or in kids' ministry. Hospitality is good. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But my house is just a little too small. Youth discipleship, it's super important, but God just hasn't given me a real heart for teen ministry. Beloved, don't use your understanding of your spiritual gift as kind of a protective shield to fend off clear needs and opportunities to serve others. Please don't cloak self-centeredness in spiritual garb. Spiritual gifts are never to be used as an excuse for not serving in ways that might make you uncomfortable. So stop waiting around for the perfect opportunity that, quote, aligns with your gifts as if your gifts are about your own self-fulfillment. Don't passively sit on the bench. Friends, there is a game going on, and you are on the team's active roster. There are so many needs and opportunities in our church. So friends, let me encourage you, get off the bench, get on the field, and start using your gifts. Ask God to strengthen you by his spirit to push you past your comfort zone. Love is always risky, always, even in serving, but joy awaits on the other side. You say, John, how do I know what my gift is? Should I kind of take a spiritual gifts inventory on the internet and narrow it down that way? Please don't. Please. And beloved, gifts are not discovered by introspection but through service. Okay? Gifts are not discovered through introspection but through service. So serve in all kinds of ways. And guess what will happen? Your gifts, the way that you're effective in ministry, will bubble up to the surface as you do. Number three, follow your key. Turn to John 13. Know your role, steward your gifts. Follow your king. John 13, it's on page 900. Friends, the pattern for all of our serving merely mirrors the very one whose service we're enlisted in. Earlier, we read from Mark 10, where Jesus ironically defines true greatness in the kingdom in terms of humble service. And then he said in verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Our king of glory did not come into this world to be served, to be waited on hand and foot like the rulers of this earth. He didn't count his equality with God, something to be grasped and held onto for his own good, but rather he emptied himself and he condescended to assume our weakness in the form of a servant, of a bondservant. The Creator came to serve his creatures. Friends, Jesus' sinless life meant that his gaze was always bent outward toward others. He actively loved and served others in humility, a love that would lead him all the way to the cross. On the eve of his crucifixion, John 13 tells us that Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. The text says that Jesus knew his hour to die for the sins of his people had come, and that Judas, one of his own disciples, one of his closest friends, would soon betray him. Look at verse 3. We're going to read this longer passage this morning. Starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Just let me pause there. Jesus knew that he was going to be triumphant. There was no hint of defeat. He was going back to God. He would serve and he would die, but he would be exalted. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If the second person of the Godhead, the creator of the galaxies, Almighty God in human flesh, humbly stooped to wash the dirt-caked, smelly feet of His disciples. Surely no type of serving, no type of humble serving and love is beneath us as His followers. Our serving others is simply modeled after His serving us. Friends, the hallmark of Christianity is this type of selfless, others-oriented love. A love that compelled Jesus not only to the humiliation of the basin and towel, but to the humiliation of the cross. You see, friends, Jesus' washing his disciples' feet wasn't merely intended to give us an example, although it is an example. It serves as a spiritual symbol. It it illustrated His commitment to wash His disciples' hearts and our hearts from the evil that has polluted it, even as He washed their feet. friends. before we can wash anyone's feet just like Jesus did, Jesus must first wash us in grace from our sin and pride, just like He told Simon Peter. If you're here and not a Christian, I'm sure all of this servant talk has been a bit perplexing, maybe a bit endearing, and quaint, like all those Christians, they're trying to love and serve each other, right? Kind of strange, if you admit it. But don't you see, friends, Christians don't talk about and work toward serving for some great sense of self-fulfillment, to get our warm and fuzzies on, you know, Sunday morning, merely because that's what's expected of us. No, ultimately, we serve others because that's what Jesus did, and we follow him by faith. And this type of other, sinner, self-denying love is only possible because of the miracle of God's grace transforming us from the inside out because none of us naturally wants to do this. We want to serve and love ourselves. We love others only because God in Christ first loved us. You see, Jesus' life was entirely marked by humble love toward others. It was a life of perfect righteousness And yet he was betrayed and then crucified upon a Roman cross. There on the cross, the Father poured out his just and good wrath upon his Son for our sins. Jesus on the cross, Jesus the Son willingly and selflessly gave his life as a sin-bearing sacrifice for us sinners. All of our of our pride and our self-promotion and our selfish ambition which by nature separates us from a holy God and merits his good and just wrath, that sin was reckoned to Jesus on the cross as if he were the evil-doer not us. He bore the eternal penalty for our sin so that, friend, if you'll trust Him, if you'll trust fully in Him to save you, His perfect record of righteousness and selflessness and love is reckoned to you by faith. By grace alone through faith in Christ, we are forgiven and washed and restored. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, demonstrating beyond all doubt that the Father accepted his sacrifice on behalf of all who would repent of their sin and trust in him. Jesus came to save sinners like you and like me, to rescue us, to wash us, to make us new. He he grants us his spirit to give us a new heart that longs to serve others in love and humility and then grows us in that desire really for the rest of our lives. Friend, what is keeping you from turning from your sin and accepting the service of Jesus for you? From turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. There's nothing you need to do this morning besides rely on Christ to save you. To repent of your sins and bow to Him as your Lord and your Master. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not asking any more of us than He's already done Himself. Love that serves is the distinguishing mark of us as his followers. You see, it's not just the angelic realm, as we talked about earlier. It's not just the angelic realm that is looking at the local church to see the the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, We represent King Jesus in a lost and dark world. And our life together is designed to give a compelling witness to the beauty and power of the gospel to save And the genuineness of our faith is demonstrated by our love. The wonderful encouragement to us is that the path to exaltation is actually through the path of serving. Even as we read at the beginning, as we're going to sing together here in just a moment, because of Jesus' humiliation, even to the point of death on the cross, God has highly exalted him. And giving him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The path to glory as a Christian is not one of self-glory, self-platforming, self-promotion. It's actually the path down the staircase following the path of Jesus, the steps of Jesus as he condescended to serve us. Friends, are you following him down that staircase? Or did you pass him on the way up as you try to exalt yourself and live for yourself? May God give us grace to know our role in the church, to steward our gifts for the good of others and the glory of God, and to follow our kings humble, and loving example. Let's pray. Oh, father we ask that you might uh, cause your word this morning from all over the New Testament to land on our hearts to resonate in our souls Lord that you would uh, stir us uh, stir up within us as your people by your spirit uh, a desire to serve one another uh, eagerly and fervently with zeal and with faithfulness oh Lord for those who are serving this morning so actively in our body encourage them Lord may they continue this good work for those who are have been uh perhaps uh fell into complacency and inactivity and lethargy oh lord may you catalyze them and spur them on this morning to love and good deeds lord build up this body we pray even as we build each other up in love through your spirit for those of you for those of uh, uh in our midst this morning who who don't know you uh that have no relationship with you through faith in Jesus oh father i pray that they today uh, might give their heart to christ they might trust in him fully to save him save them. Lord, that we as a church might be able to help them know the gospel and trust in Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.